Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit with your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan. I am still in a hotel in Lexington, Kentucky. Just got done talking to a lot of really, really great colleagues down at Bluegrass Community and Technical College here in Kentucky. Uh, there are a lot of really good A&P instructors that are doing some really cool things with their students, getting ready to use a lot of digital technology to help their students learn, whether it's face-to-face, online, or a hybrid. So it's been a really good experience here. I've had a good time. Lexington's really nice, lots of horses, lots of open land. Uh, it was a good time. Uh, met a lot of really good A&P people, and I'm really excited for uh, for what they're going to be doing moving forward with helping students learn and become great clinicians. So today's topic uh, moving forward is homeostasis. So homeostasis is really important because almost everything our bodies do is to maintain something called homeostasis. And homeostasis is basically the way our bodies maintain all of the conditions inside our bodies so that we can achieve optimal health or exist in optimal health. I mean, if you think about where you live, right? Where you live, wherever that might be, is in an environment that is constantly changing. But the conditions inside your body have to stay remarkably consistent. Your body temperature really needs to stay within a particular range for you to be optimally healthy. And we know that the average temperature of a normal healthy adult is about is about 37 degrees Celsius, which comes out to about 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. But how often is it really that hot outside? So the environment is not enough to keep your body's temperature where it needs to be. So we have to maintain our body temperature ourselves. And we do that by spending a lot of energy. That's why we have to eat three times a day. So that our cells can do enough work to keep our body temperature up that high. Maintaining your body temperature is part of homeostatic mechanisms. We would call temperature in this case a controlled condition. It's a condition inside your body that needs to be controlled, a controlled condition. Another example would be blood pressure. Your blood pressure needs to be within a certain range for you to be healthy. And we have to maintain that blood pressure through different homeostatic mechanisms inside our bodies. We call blood pressure a controlled condition. Glucose levels in your blood is another one. When glucose levels get too high, you're going to get sick. If they get too low, you're going to get sick. But if they stay right around the normal range, you should be healthy. So we have mechanisms in place that help maintain these controlled conditions. And just about everything our cells do is to maintain homeostasis, to maintain this consistent environment inside your body despite inconsistent conditions in the environment. So we have to remember that homeostasis is a dynamic process. It's not something that 
only happens when things get out of whack or only happens when you're about to get sick and your body pulls you right back. That's not really what it is. What it is is it's a dynamic process that's happening all the time. We think of our body temperature and you think 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. But really what your body temperature is, is a mildly fluctuating temperature that's constantly being pulled up and pulled back down so that it can hover around a particular set point. So when your body temperature gets slightly high, then conditions inside your body will change and actions will be taken to bring your body body temperature back down. For instance, your cellular activity might slow down or you might start to sweat. So if your body temperature gets too high, we'll either decrease the amount of thyroid hormone we're sending out to your cells so that they decrease their activity because cellular activity generates heat. Or we could sweat. And sweating releases hot fluids out out of your body, has them evaporate off your skin to create a cooling effect, and then the blood in the surface of your body will cool down and return to the core of your body to cool it off. That's an example of a homeostatic mechanism. Body temperature would be the controlled condition, and then we take actions to maintain that controlled condition. So one of the actions we take is called a negative feedback system. This one can get a little confusing, and the main reason why is because people tend to use the word negative incorrectly in this context. So I want to clear that up for you early so you don't get confused on an exam question. So let's say your body temperature is getting too high. So you start to sweat, and the sweating cools your body down, and your body temperature starts to return to normal. So think about what was required for that to happen. So if you have a controlled condition and your body's job is to monitor that controlled condition, see if it's getting out of whack, and then try to pull it back down to normal. One thing that you'll need is a monitoring system. You need a way in which to monitor whether it's out of whack or not. We call the tools of this system receptors. So your body is going to need thermoreceptors, sensory receptors that are going to be monitoring the controlled condition. In this case, temperature. It might be blood pressure. It might be glucose levels. There's a lot of different controlled conditions that we need to maintain in our bodies, and we need receptors to monitor those conditions. So the other thing that's required is a control center. A part of your central nervous system that is going to analyze the data that the receptors have taken in and make a decision on what to do. So the receptors are going to respond to the body temperature getting too high. That triggers the receptors and the receptors can then send a message, usually through the nervous system, to the central nervous system. So a sensory neuron a nerve cell that carries nerve signals toward the central nervous system, which is the brain and spinal cord, 
will take that message and give it to a part of your brain or spinal cord called the control center. In this case, it would be a part of your brain called the hypothalamus. That part of your central nervous system, the control center, will now analyze the data that the receptor has given it and make a decision on what to do. And that decision might be sweating. So a message has to be sent through your nervous system or your blood to the anatomical structures that are going to carry out the action to reverse the condition. So we have a decision to make, what to do. We need something to carry out the desired effect. We need an organ or a gland that's going to carry out the desired effect. We call that piece the effector because they carry out the effect that the control center decided upon. And in this case, it's sweat glands. The sweat glands release the sweat, the body cools down, and you're back to normal. That is called a negative feedback system. Now, the reason it's called a negative feedback system is not because the body temperature came down. That's the misconception. It's because the condition that the receptors responded to has been reversed. Temperature was going up. Now it's coming down. That's what makes it a negative feedback system. Now, let's say your body temperature was getting too low. So if the body temperature gets too low, thermoreceptors will respond to that. It's too cold. They will send a message to the control center, and the control center has to make a decision on what to do to bring the body temperature back up. Now, that could be activating your cellular activity by using thyroid hormones, or it could be shivering which would be to activate your muscles and make them shake and contract because that work of muscle contraction will generate heat as a byproduct and heat up your body. So the body temperature was too low. The control center made a decision based on what the receptors told it. They decided on a desired effect and sent the message to the effectors and they carried out the action and the body temperature came back up. Even though the body temperature rose, that is still a negative feedback system. And the reason why it's a negative feedback system is because the original condition that was monitored by the receptors was reversed. It's the reversal that makes it negative, not whether it's going up or down. So keep that in mind, that's a really important distinction. Students mess this up on exams. It confuses them. Don't be that student. Get this question right. All right, so that's an example of a negative feedback system to main, helping maintain homeostasis. Now, there are also positive feedback systems. Now, positive feedback systems are usually there to come up with a desired result. Not so much to maintain homeostasis. We're usually maintaining controlled conditions with negative feedback systems. 
the positive feedback systems are ones in which the condition that was monitored is enhanced by the effector. So I'll give you an example. The classic example of a positive feedback system is childbirth. So you have a pregnant woman, and there is a fetus inside the uterus, and the distal part of the uterus, the part that is uh, at the bottleneck that is, that is closer to the birth canal, it's called the cervix. And it's pretty narrow. It's like a bottleneck. When the fetus is ready to be born, uh, the uterine walls start contracting and the fetus's head starts entering the cervix. Now, the fetus's head is much larger in diameter than the cervix, even the dilated cervix. So the cervix starts to stretch. The walls start to expand and stretch. And inside the cervical muscles are stretch receptors. Like I said earlier, you need a receptor for a feedback system. So these stretch receptors are triggered by the stretching of the cervix. And that causes them to generate a nerve signal that travels all the way up to the brain to let the hypothalamus know the cervix is being stretched. So the hypothalamus is the control center. It analyzes these data and decides, okay, let's contract the uterine muscles even more so that we can squeeze that fetus's head further into the cervix. It does that by stimulating the posterior pituitary gland to release a hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin travels through the bloodstream and eventually makes its way to the uterine smooth muscle that's contracting and squeezing this fetus out. So when it does that, it pushes the fetus even further into the cervix, which further stretches the cervical wall. So that's, now we've just enhanced the original condition that the receptors were noticing. So the cervical wall stretch is what caused this feedback system to engage in the first place. And the effect that the feedback system has given us is further cervical wall stretching. So we haven't reversed the original condition, we've enhanced it. Therefore, we call that a positive feedback system. A positive feedback system. We see this with action potentials in our nervous system. We see this with fevers and with blood clotting. These all utilize positive feedback systems. So keep in mind, these are the two mechanisms that homeostasis uses to, the most to maintain the controlled conditions that we have inside our bodies. Uh, don't forget that homeostasis is a dynamic process that is happening all the time, whether you're sick or healthy. It's really when homeostasis is no longer functioning then you, that you get sick. So when you have homeostatic imbalances, the processes aren't working to keep the controlled conditions within certain ranges, that's when you get sick. Negative feedback systems reverse the original condition. Positive feedback systems enhance the original condition. These are the main points you need to get from this particular episode. All right, so that's the long and short of homeostasis. Now, keep in mind, homeostasis is much more than this. It's, like I said, it's everything your body is doing. 
But this is a little bit of an intro into what the concept of homeostasis is and the mechanisms it uses to work. Okay, I really hope that this episode has helped you understand something that maybe you were a little shaky on. Good luck on your next exam. I'll talk to you later. Hey, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Student Help for AP. That's the word student help, the number four, AP. There's a lot of tutor videos on there that I think could really help you grasp some concepts in A&P. And I also have an Instagram account and a Twitter feed with the same name. So check those out too. Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media. With a special thanks to Bucks County Community College for giving me a job doing what I love.